So, here, his, here we find Paul beginning his second missionary journey. He's in Lystra. He, he goes after Timothy. By the way, the, the name Timothy is short for Timotheus, which means beloved of God. He finds Timothy, a young man, and uh, he recruits Timothy for the journey. Uh, he circumcises Timothy first because Timothy came from Jewish mother. He should have been circumcised, and for the sake of ministry to, to Jews. Again, it says, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So they all knew Daddy wouldn't let him do this barbaric ritual. Verse 4, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem and for the people to obey. What were the decisions that all Christians had to obey? Again, back to back to the conference in Jerusalem, abstain from food, sacrificed idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. In this culture, you have to emphasize that last one, sexual immorality. And the Jewish community knew how to define that. The Jewish community knew what was right and what was wrong in God's eyes regarding sexual morality and immorality. So we, we Christians don't get to take a pass on the Ten Commandments. You know, adultery is in there. So sexual morality is part of the moral law. It's not part of the ceremonial. It's not part of the civil. So the, sec the mor moral law still stands for us. Anyway, so they're going through these towns, telling them what was decided, telling these Jew Gentile people in present-day Turkey, uh, ancient Asia Minor, telling these Gentile people uh, how Jewish they need to come to Christ, but how Jewish they need to be. They can't come to Christ and keep their pagan morality. Because uh, again, if you've read 1 Corinthians, if you know anything about it, we are a heavily sexualized culture. The ancient Greco-Roman culture was probably more so. You know, we're probably the closest since Christianity came along. Our culture is probably the closest in regards to sexuality to the ancient pagan culture. I mean, for the pagans, sexuality was recreational. And, you know, you copulate with whoever like a bunch of rabbits. And uh, that was fine in the ancient Greek and Roman world, but not in the ancient Jewish world or the ancient Christian world. Um, that's why I think what you're watching in our world today is not just the eradicate in the West, not just the eradication of Christianity, but you're seeing the restoration of paganism in the West. Paul would, Paul would understand our culture well. It's the exact culture he had to face uh, when, he, when he went to the pagan places like Asia Minor. And he's going to go to Greece, by the way. So as they're traveling through the cities, they're telling them what the decision was in Jerusalem about, about how Jewish they had to be uh, to embrace Christ. You, you believe in Christ by faith, but that doesn't mean you can live any way you want to live if you come to faith in Christ. So they're going through. You get one of, um, you get one of uh, Luke's summary statements in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in, notice the word the, in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Uh, anytime you, in the New Testament, because there's faith, the act of believing in Christ, but there's the faith, and when you see the article the there, the faith, it means a body of doctrine. The faith was delivered by the apostles, what the apostles taught. So he's going through back through Asia Minor, telling the people what was decided on in Jerusalem, and he's strengthening them in the apostles' teaching, and they grew daily in numbers. Um, you know, when I was this superintendent and preacher's 
got ill with me for getting after them about numbers. Some, some, some pastors joyfully kill churches and they feel spiritual about it. And they always thought I was unspiritual talking about numbers. And I always would take them back to the book of Acts. Paul loves to reference numbers. But the reason numbers are important to, to, to Luke, um, Luke references in the book of Acts, the reason numbers are important is this. Living organisms grow. Living organisms grow, unless there is disease there that prevents growth. So churches should be living organisms. If churches are living organisms, growth should be a byproduct. You don't go after the growth, but growth is a byproduct in a living organism. So yeah, Luke in the book of Acts, Luke the author of Acts, loves to point out these summary statements, how the movement is growing. The movement is growing. Okay, now, here comes one of the most exciting parts of the book of Acts for those of us that are Gentile, but we're not just Gentile. Most of us in this room probably have a heritage that takes us back to Europe, probably most of us. Here's where the gospel comes to Europe. Here's how the gospel comes to Europe. You're getting ready to see the baptism of the first European person. Um, you're also getting ready to see how God's timing, God's plans might be different from ours. Um, you know, life is what happens to interrupt our plans. Uh, and sometimes that's God interrupting our plans. So it gets really exciting here at, at verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Again, Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. He's heading west. Um, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's kind of what today would be the eastern part of Turkey. So the Holy Spirit's directing. Again, you've heard me say when we were together last year, the Acts, it, we just titled this the Book of Acts. We sometimes say the Book of Acts of the Apostles, which is fine. I almost prefer Acts of the Holy Spirit. There's not a lot of apostles mentioned in this book. Uh, the Holy Spirit's mentioned all over the place. And here's the Holy Spirit directing the ministry, directing the mission, directing the church. Uh, there's lots of ways the Holy Spirit directs. Um, we'll continue to talk about that throughout the book of Acts. There's dreams, there's visions. Obviously, there's the Word of God, which would be the Old Testament for Paul in this crowd. Um, there's Christian conferencing, such as what happened at Jerusalem, when they, made their, when they took their votes at Jerusalem and decided what the minimal requirement was for Gentiles coming to Christ. Uh, that was the Holy Spirit guiding the church in Jerusalem uh, through prayer. There's lots of ways the Holy Spirit guides. Uh, and, of course, Paul and the early church, they were open to the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is being directed by the Holy Spirit. He was just going to hang out there in Cilicia in the eastern part of Turkey, but the Holy Spirit said, get out of here. Get out of here, head west. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia. They're, they are going west. Now, it would make almost, it would make common sense. It would be logical for him to continue heading west to go to that great metropolis where he does end up spending the most amount of time that he spends in any metropolis, Ephesus. 
That would make sense for him for them to keep heading west, go to Ephesus, because that's that was like New York City and Las Vegas combined in the ancient world. A lot of fertile the, the fields are really ripened to harvest. They were in Ephesus. That's why Paul ends up spending two and a half years there. So he's probably just using common sense and trying to go straight to Ephesus. Um, but the Spirit redirects. He tried to enter Bithynia, just heading due west, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Again, you're going to continue, hopefully, as you go through the book of Acts, look at all the ways the Spirit speaks. You're getting ready to see an example. Uh, here, the Spirit of Jesus uh, doesn't want Paul to go the normal route. He, he, he wants him to go somewhere else. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. Uh, I hope you use those maps in the back of your Bible. You know, when the Bible gives you a geographical location, which the Bible does all the time, there's a reason for it. Uh, Troas, if you're heading straight across Turkey, Asia Minor, you have to go north. Troas is about, is, was a major city, major port city on, on, in Asia Minor. It was a port city like Ephesus, north of Ephesus. Troas and you can hear it in the name. Troas is about 10 miles south of ancient Troy. Um, you know, sort of know where Troy was. So he goes, he's, he's, led, he's led not toward Ephesus, but he has to head, head north, northwest to Troas. Now watch what happens when he gets to Troas. Uh, again, the Spirit's directing him in a lot of ways. Notice what happens. During the night, Paul had a vision. A man of Macedonia standing and begging him. So a vision. Sometimes the Spirit leads through a vision. So here's this man of Macedonia. Macedonia is the northern part of Greece. Still called that today, by the way. The northern part of Greece is Macedonia. So here the Spirit is guiding with a vision of a man of Macedonia standing begging Paul. Come over to Macedonia and help us. This is a Macedonian call. That's what we refer to it as in Christian tradition. So Paul receives the Macedonian call. So he's going to have to jump a ship in Troas and go across the Aegean Sea. Um, watch this. This is where, again, it really is important to know how to read. Something happens in verse 10 that has not happened to this point. After Paul had seen the vision... We. See the we? First time you've seen the we. You've not seen a we till this point. It's been they up to this point. At this point, there's we. What does that mean? Luke has joined them. Luke now is with them. He picks up Luke, the author of Acts, in the city of Troas. Again, when you read anything, read it carefully, but particularly the Bible, read it carefully. Um, you'll notice there's going to be we passages from now to the end of Acts. There's some places they're not we passages. They're they passages again. So you know when Luke is with Paul. He, they, they connect here. So who's on the journey now? Paul, Silas, we picked up Timothy, we've picked up Luke. There may have been others, but we know those four are on this, um, what we call the second missionary journey. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to, at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
So he leaves what we would call the um, today the Near East or the Middle East. He leaves there. He jumps a ship. Uh, he crosses the Aegean Sea. Um, he's going to what we would call today Greece. You look at your Bible maps. What we today call Greece, and that's Europe. So he's going to European soil at this point. And again, for those of us uh, that are, are Gentiles with heritage somewhere in Europe, we're glad the gospel got brought to Europe. Now you're going to see who the first baptized convert was on European soil. So look at verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. It was probably about two days of sailing. You, you, you see that there. Uh, two days of sailing. On the way across the Aegean Sea, they stopped at Samothrace, which was a, a, a hilly island about halfway uh, from Troas to um, Neapolis. Neapolis, um, that just, that's Greek for the new city, Neapolis. Uh, some of you have been there. Some of you have been there with me. Today it's called Kavala. Kavala, if you remember going, is a beautiful little seaport town. There on the coast is the port for what would be Philippi. Philippi is about eight, nine miles inland. But Neapolis is, is the port city. Uh, I have a lot of memories of Neapolis, or Kavala today. It's beautiful, it's gorgeous, it's quaint. Um, from those of you on the last trip, I remember standing on the street eating those almond cookies that somebody was sharing with us. They got all the white sugar all over all of us. I remember that. Now, my most vivid memory of Neapolis was from several years ago. There was a power outage in the restaurant where we were eating, and I got stuck in a bathroom, a dark bathroom. I couldn't get out of the bathroom. It was dark. So I would go to my grave remembering Neapolis. That was an interesting, one of, my, one of those interesting lunches I ever had in Greece, uh, Neapolis. But a lot of times you do go, if, you, if you're going to trace the footsteps of Paul, you go to Neapolis, and then you go to Philippi. Um, so he lands at Neapolis. Doesn't do anything in Neapolis. Doesn't preach the gospel. Doesn't hunt for people. And you should say, wonder why. Well, again, the most basic answer, if you watch Paul, evidently no Jewish community in Neapolis. So he just books it out of Neapolis. Uh, so they land in Neapolis. Verse 12, from there we traveled to Philippi. Philippi, Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Philippi, again, is in Greece. It's a Roman colony, because at this point, Rome is ruling all the world. So what Rome would do would take cities like Philippi, Corinth, make them a Roman colony. And this was their way of getting Romans to go live there. They would reduce taxes, perhaps give other subsidies, make it really attractive for Romans to go live in certain places. That's part of the way they conquered the world. So even though, even though Philippi is a, is a Greek city named after the father of Alexander the Great, who was Philip, uh, Philippi is a historic city, um, is a Roman colony. So you'd, if you go excavate Philippi today, first century, most of your inscriptions are in Latin, not in Greek. So it was a Roman colony. So that's where we're at. We're going to Philippi now. Uh, several of you have been to Philippi in the room. Um, it's the leading city of that north. The north of Greece is still called Macedonia. They stayed there several days. So again, um, it's, it's kind of interesting 
that he stays there because he doesn't find much of a Jewish community in Philippi. You know that from the next verse. On the Sabbath, this is the Jewish Sabbath. On the Jewish Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, uh, the Ganges, the river uh, there, where we expected to find a place of prayer. Um, let me tell you what's going on there. Um, you have to have at least 10 men, has to be men, even today, uh, to have a synagogue, a gathering. Um, I've been in synagogue services where literally we had to wait till the 10th male showed up before we could start the work of the synagogue. Uh, if, you don't have, if you don't have the 10 men, that's a minion, if you don't have the 10 men to create a synagogue, you can do else, something else. Evidently, there's not 10 male Jews in uh, Philippi. So there's the Jews gather on the Sabbath just in a place of prayer. And they're gathering on a place of prayer out beside a river. You're going to see who's there in a minute. So Paul, Paul's waiting till the Sabbath because he knows there's going to be some Jews. Because Jews know the Old Testament, so they're, they're three quarters of the way to Jesus compared to the Gentiles. So they, 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 they stay because they, they know there's going to be a gathering, small gathering of some Jews. And this is a great city, by the way. It's probably a good place to stay. Uh, so they, they know it's going to happen. It's so on the Jewish Sabbath. This group of women, it's a group of women, because no men, not enough for synagogue, they gather on this river. Uh, the picture behind me, by the way, is a worship service. I always do that when I got groups in Philippi. This is that river there by the ruins. It's just ruins today of Philippi. Um, the Greek Orthodox Church has established a place of baptism or baptismal reaffirmation there. Uh, it's a beautiful spot. Yeah, you see how it's even in the form, it's in the form of cross. You can literally get baptized into the cross. Um, so that's the place I always, is, when I'm in Greece, that's where I do baptismal reaffirmations or baptisms, just like if I'm in the Holy Land, you do it at the River Jordan. So um, uh, this is from this past April, we were there. So we were doing our baptismal reaffirmation, and you can tell we got baptized in more ways than one on that day. It was pouring down rain. Now, I'd have been gracious and let them get out of some things, but not get out of this. So we went to the riverside there in um, um, Philippi, the ruins of Philippi, in the river where the very first European convert to Christ was baptized. You'll meet her in a minute. And we reaffirmed our baptisms. Um, the rain almost made it more memorable uh, being there. So that, that's us at this river where these people gathered as a place of prayer in Philippi. Again, they're women because if you had 10 men, you'd have a synagogue. Uh, but there was not evidently not 10 men. So on the Sabbath, we, we went outside to the city gate, outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women. Again, you'd have known that already because this place of prayer is not a synagogue. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. Please don't lose sight of the fact the first Christian convert to Christ in Europe is a female. And a very particular female, her name is Lydia. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. And we learned something about Lydia. A dealer, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira is back in Asia Minor. 
It's one of the seven churches that John wrote to, remember, in the book of Revelation, Thyatira. She's from there. That region, by the way, geography is important. I know Americans score abysmally poor in regards to geography, but geography is important. Anyway, the region around Thyatira is named, guess what? Lydia. So she's named Lydia because that's where she's from, Thyatira in the region of Lydia. So uh, she's a transplant from Thyatira in Asia Minor, Turkey, into Macedonia, northern Greece. She's a transplant. She's a dealer in purple cloth. Purple throughout history has been the color of royalty. Uh, it took like thousands of shell, certain kinds of shellfish to make that purple dye. There were a few other ways you can make somewhat of a purple dye. There's actually something called Turkish red that was not quite purple, but it, it was close, but it's a whole lot cheaper to make. But the reason that's important, if she was a dealer in purple dye, which royalty and wealthy used, what does that probably say about Lydia's financial status? She probably was wealthy. We're going to see that later, too. She, she was wealthy. She was a leader. So the first Christian convert on European soil is a strong-willed, successful, financially successful woman. There's not enough men to make a synagogue, so she just steps in and takes control. So you see that she is from Thyatira. She's transplant to Macedonia. She's a dealer in purple cloth, probably wealthy, probably wealthy, who was a worshiper of God. Now, this is a review. We've talked about this a lot because it's very important in the book of Acts. It's very important to Luke because Luke is one of these. So what is this? Who are these? Um, my translation, my English translation says a worshiper of God. The, the word there literally is a God-fearer. We know who the God-fearers are. God-fearers were people around the ancient world who attached themselves to Judaism because of the high ethical standards. Remember, the Greek gods aren't even nice. They're not even good. They fight amongst themselves. But they, the, the God-fearers were the pagans, the, the Gentiles, who attached themselves to the Jewish community. Luke was one of those. Gentile who attached himself to the Jewish community because, again, they liked the moral law, particularly in regards to sexual morality and family and marriage and how you treat people. They liked how Judaism did that because, again, in the Roman Empire, we Christianities invented both, we Christians pretty much invented both humility and love. Now, the Roman Empire, they liked power and strength. You know, there's a, when Edward Gibbons wrote his famous book in 1776, The Fall of the Roman Empire, he pretty much said the re one of the main reasons the Roman Empire failed is we Christians. We made them soft. You know, you start preaching humility and love instead of power and strength. Yeah, we made them soft, and eventually the Roman Empire falls as the Roman Empire became Christian. So, so we Christians have certain values that we get from the Jews. So God-fearers were people that were part of the Greco-Roman world, but they liked the moral system. They liked the morality of the Jews. They, they did not become a full-fledged Jew. You could be a proselyte and become a full-fledged Jew. Uh, what, but at that point, because again, the Bible nor Paul ever says to Jews, quit that. 
when you come to Christ. He just says, don't lay that on Gentiles who come to Christ. But if you become Jewish, you've got things that you got to do, such as circumcision. So that's a hard sell to Gentile men. And even keeping kosher laws. You know, I mean, being Jewish is complicated in a lot of ways. Um, you know, as Christians, we, we keep, I think, we keep the best of Judaism. I'm glad we have Jewish sexual morality, but I'm glad I don't have to cut up animals on Sunday morning and offer them to God. Uh, so we kind of keep the best of Judaism. So the God-fears in the ancient world were, were Greco-Roman people, pagan people, Gentile people, who they were attracted by that. The God of Judaism was a holy God, was a good God. Um, the people were good. They had clean living. You know, that man had sex with one person, his wife. Um, they didn't visit temple prostitutes. The list goes on and on and on. So Lydia from Thyatira, which is not a Jewish city, she's a Gentile, but she's a God-fearer. Again, Paul would go to the synagogues first because the Jews, the Jews were three-quarters of the way to Christianity to begin with. Again, you've got an Old Testament. I hope you know it well. Jews were three-quarters of the way to Christianity, and the God-fearers were even closer. The God-fearers wanted to appropriate the best of Judaism, but not deal with some of the ceremonial laws. So here's, here's Lydia. She's a wealthy woman from Thyatira, and she's one of those God-fearers, as is Luke. So Paul, Paul's intelligent. Let's go to major cities, and let's go to people who are already three-quarters of the ways to faith in Christ. Jews were looking for a Messiah. Just show up and tell them who he is. So this is the way Paul, Paul had a system. You know, some people think organization is not spiritual. Paul would have an issue with that. Organization and strategy and planning. And that's, 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 you have to yield to the Holy Spirit. But that stuff, you've got to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. So that stuff is good. Paul knew what he was doing. When you look at where Paul would go, like Philippi, go find the people who were close to Judaism and start there. Because they're already, you know, you don't have to explain the word Messiah to them. I mean, they're already heading that direction. So um, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Again, the Holy Spirit is the evangelist. John Wesley said, the Holy Spirit is the evangelist. We just second the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, none of us are smart enough to come to Christ uh, because of human nature. But we are pulled to Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pulls us. Uh, you see that throughout the New Testament. The, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, so she and her whole family were baptized, that family would have included um, probably not a husband, because she looks to be head of the household, probably not a husband here, but there would have been maybe children, maybe servants, bond servants, uh, but the whole, whole family came to Christ. The whole family either heard the gospel and accepted it, or they were so young that Lydia said, you're, you're going to, my, my baby's coming to Christ too. I'm bringing my baby with me. This is one of the places that, um, you know, we can begin making some, some case for infant baptism. Um, you know, Lydia could not have imagined most of her family being baptized, but her little baby not being. Uh, so here's, here's household baptisms. So it's one of the places that we may see that. Uh, so she has a household. They were baptized. And then watch this. She invited us, 
to her home. If you, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. Uh, this strong-willed woman was persuasive. She persuaded us. So here's Lydia. Again, we know, we know Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke. There may be others, but we know there's at least four on this missionary journey. Um, we suspect that her home, to which these four had been invited, we suspect that her home uh, became the center for the church in Philippi. Again, we had no buildings for the first 400 years almost. Uh, we had house churches. We met in homes. So again, for, for Lydia, to, you know, read the text closely, for Lydia to be able to invite these people to come to her home to stay and also maybe become the center of the Christian community, what does that tell us about her house? Yeah, it wasn't a shed. It wasn't a shack. Again, we, we know she's wealthy for more than one for more for more than one reason here in the text. So uh, here's your first European convert. It's fascinating to get to know Lydia, and that's your first European convert uh, from from her, and from the beginning of this ministry comes all of us sitting in this room today, probably all of us sitting in this room today. Of course, before long, the gospel continues to spread, continues to spread throughout Europe, eventually makes its way to my pagan ancestors in Scotland and Ireland. And, 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 and Europe was Christendom. No longer, but for centuries, Europe was Christendom. And uh, it started here. Um, we'll stop here because... Um, you're going to see the result of this work. You're going to see what happens to Paul and Silas. They're going, they're going, everywhere Paul went, one of two things, if not both, happened. There'd be a revival and a riot. That's just what always happened. He'd bring about a revival that would irritate certain people. And so you've seen the positive side of his visit um, here. I want you to notice this, though. As we sometimes we miss the big picture in the in chapter sixteen in the ministry of Philippi, we are told about three different people who are saved through the preaching of the gospel by Paul and his companions. Lydia, there's going to be a demon possessed woman, and then there's going to be the Philippian jailer. Now again, Luke could have written a whole lot of other stuff. But if you just look at those three, look at the diversity. Wealthy, powerful, leadership person in Lydia. Very poor servant girl that was possessed by a demon. Very poor. And then a Philippian jailer, in our world, we'd maybe say middle class. So Paul's picking these three to show you, to show you the kind of diversity that was coming to faith in Christ. Now, they had to stop certain behaviors, all of them, when they came to Christ, but it was a great diversity. We love diversity in this culture. We just, you know, some, some Christians love a big tent, but we've got to decide how big that tent can be. You know, we love a big tent and we love diversity, but that tent can only be to a certain point. Um, and we love diversity, but some things can't be squeezed into the Christian faith. So lots of different types of people were coming to the Christian faith. They all had to walk away from their pagan behavior the best they could, empowered by the Spirit. They had to walk away from their pagan behavior. 
Um, anyway, so we'll pick up there. Let's pray together. Um, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this group of faithful people that love you and love your word and who are willing to submit themselves to your word. Lord, may your word guide us. May your Holy Spirit speak to us through your word. May we submit to your word and help us to find the joy that you have prepared for us in the world to come and in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.